Writer's Advice is a point of connection, a dose of inspiration, and an insight into the creative process of the babes behind the books. I'm your host, Olivia Hillier. Each week, I'll be interviewing authors from around the globe on their creative process and how they got to where they are today and what it's really like inside the industry of publishing. So listen in, take notes, and I hope you walk away inspired, ready to take on the next level of your writing wherever you are in your journey. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another week of Writer's Advice. I am so excited. (laughs) Okay, you're sick of me saying that already, but I am so excited to share this week's episode with you because we have the incredible Amelia Mello with us today. So if you haven't heard of Amelia, Amelia before, she is the author of The Grandest Bookshop in the World, which is a middle grade novel. So she dives into writing for middle grade and writing for YA and the importance of reading and writing at that development stage. So I highly recommend any, you know, young adult or middle grade authors really listen into this episode. But she also really goes into historical fiction as well and research and, you know, aligning what was a historical story and turning that into something fictional, which she has done with her incredible books. Um, And soon to be, there's a part two coming as well, but Listening, guys, enjoy and her um, writing prompt is very, very, very special this week. So enjoy. Welcome back, listeners. And this week, I am so excited because we have Amelia Mella joining us, who is the author of The Grandest Bookshop in the World, which if you haven't seen the divine cover yet, it is the most beautiful middle grade story but also I really recommend that adults can read this one as well because there's so much to it and we'll we'll get into more about Amelia's book but thank you so much for joining us Amelia. Pleasure to be here thank you Olivia. Thank you so also you've got book two in the works now but what I wanted to start off with is the same question that I start um, off the podcast with is what what first got you into writing or when was the moment that you discovered that you were a writer? Well, I am one of those weird people who's sort of always known what they want to do. Um, I would say the the very first sign that um, that I was going to be a sort of word nerd came when I would have been, look, my parents swear up and down that this is what happened. I was three weeks old when I said my first word apparently (laughs) and I doubted them for years but then I saw videos of very young babies doing a similar thing so maybe this is true who knows but apparently when I was three weeks old I said hello because everybody had been saying hello hello to me and I made a noise that sounded like hello back to them um when I was a toddler I used to practice my and any big words I'd learned that day every night in my cot making sure I got them right I spoke really slowly because I was trying to get all the words right um and then when I was three and my mum asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up I said I want to work in a shop 
surrounded by books that I have written because I didn't know that writing alone was a job. I knew that shopkeeping was a job. Um, so that was my sort of my way around that. Um, I used to memorise books when I was really little. I'd get adults to read me the same books over and over till wow. I memorise them. Um, and then I could read them to myself when they were busy with my little siblings. Um, and then I think the first story that I remember writing as a kid was um, a story about two little girls and a sea monster that I wrote in grade two. Um, and uh, my teacher was quite scary at the time, but I remember being really proud of that one because this scary teacher held up my story as an example for everyone else and said, this is at least as good as a grade four story. And I was like, <laughs> yes. Um, and so from then on, from about grade two, actually, I was writing in my spare time, um, usually fantasy stories as well. Um, so, you know, there's always monsters and ghosts and all sorts of other things in my stories that I wrote as a kid and as a teenager. Um, but then the first time anyone really saw my work was when I was uh, in year 12, I wrote a play for the year sevens and eights. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was pretty exciting. Uh, it was um, it was a sort of like Scooby-Doo-ish mystery kind of uh, kind of play. Um, and but that was the first time anyone really saw my work on a larger scale. And that really the the when I saw my work on stage, I was like, yes. This is what I want my whole life to be. I mean, I'd never really doubted it before because I was always writing all the time and I enjoyed it so much. But um, the moment of seeing what an impact my creation was having on the audience, like, you know, how they were invested, they were laughing, that really was a defining moment, I think. Yeah. Um, That's incredible. You know, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> not only that, too, it's like you can obviously write in a lot of different ways. Like that's novel screenwriting. Like it's you're a sto full storyteller. I would love to be a full storyteller. Yeah, I would like to do many things across many genres and many forms. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I you you will have noticed I like to put uh, poetry in my um, in my novels as well. Yeah. Um, I like playing with the rhythms of language, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, uh, writing was my – creative writing was my major at uni. Yeah. Um, it was my favourite kind of assignment um, at school. Uh, I've always sort of been invested in creating um, and drama and art. I love those as well. So, yeah. Where do you – what do you – attribute your obviously it's like such a natural born gift but what do you attribute your imagination to like how does a brand new story come to you is it just constantly you've just got these ideas flowing well um I I say I'm blessed with imagination and cursed with anxiety um growing up it was quite tricky actually having my imagination um because 
there were perils under every staircase and around every corner. Um, you know, I was always imagining monsters and baddies everywhere, uh, but also, you know, fairies and magical creatures. Um, when I was little, I was encouraged to do a lot of imaginative play. Um, I had a sister who I was very close to in age. Um, so we did a lot of imaginative play. Um, I think being read to a lot was a definite factor. Um, my parents like to say that it's because they restricted me from TV, but I don't, I don't know if that story checks out. Um, I certainly think storytelling and being read to um, has a massive impact on kids when they're really young. Um, I was teaching primary school last year. I'm lucky that this year I don't have to teach full time, but um, you could definitely, in terms of literacy, the kids who had been read to a lot um, and, and who read a lot themselves, got so much more out of our literacy classes um, than those who had not. And even the ones who had, you know, things like dyslexia, if they had been read to, they still understood what they were, um, they still understood stories that we read as a class in a way that like overcame difficulties that they had with text. Um, I'm rambling a bit, but there's- No, that's great. Yeah. There's really, there's really, I think reading to, to kids when they're little, even before they can talk, is so, so important for their language development and um, for fostering literacy, you know, all sides of literacy, creativity and um, interpretation, and as well as the straightforward decoding of the text. Yeah, yeah. And is that why you find yourself writing for that a little bit younger generation now as well? Um, no, I've, I've often gravitated to books in the middle grade YA sphere, yeah. um, partly because they tend to be a bit more fun. You get a lot of doom and gloom in adult books. The ones that, you know, I mean... There are certainly adult books that I love, but you've got to trawl through a lot of stories about like middle-aged people dealing with suburban ennui, and I just get bored <laughs> with that, you know. Um, but also, I love how invested kids get in stories. They're so along for the ride, um, and. I find that kids respond very well to my enthusiasm personally. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's something so wonderful about um, kids' literature um, and the, the impact it can have on, you know, someone as they're growing and developing. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like there's room to play in kids' literature where I guess maybe it's not as encouraged um, in the adult realm. I mean, sci-fi yeah, fantasy, yeah. sci fantasy, you can always play a bit, but um, 
yeah it's just, darker like in adults it's not it as is, yeah and I've, and I've worked with kids for a long time like I was a nanny all through uni and um and I and I do enjoy teaching um so yeah I I don't know I I would like to someday right for all age groups but I do really enjoy the response that you get from kids and uh and you know creating creating a story for for kids who get really invested they they're great at suspending their disbelief and that's so rewarding when someone gets that invested in your book um so yeah as a as a kid, I was writing for my own age group, but then when I did Glass Street Ghost, I was writing for slightly younger. Yeah. Um, and I guess I've been writing for slightly younger since then. Yeah. Um, I've done a couple of short stories that were for, you know, for adults, but I don't know. I'm just enjoying the, the realm of kids' literature at the moment. Um, and, and having done a Masters of Teaching too, I've, you know, I've, always got um the sort of <laughs> responsibilities of the teacher in in the back of my head when I'm writing which I think people would be surprised about because my books are so spooky but um yeah I'm it's a in a way it's a way of being there for your readers without actually physically being there yeah you know? Yeah, writing yep. a story for them. Yeah, and I can't even imagine the reaction that you would get from some some of your kids. Like, I I personally love the grandest bookshop in the world because it's create. You've created the most. It's like a dream world for kids. Like, obviously, yeah, there's there's some spooky aspects to it, but while you're while they're going through this adventure, there is just this this dream world that is it's fun and it's light and it's beautiful while also you know incorporating. The, the other aspects that are in it as well so yeah you're, you're obviously definitely born to do that it's a beautiful story well thank you I um I couldn't believe no one else had done it because I actually didn't make up any of the departments in the book arcade yeah I want to talk about this so this is really interesting especially for someone so creative that's come up with a lot of your own things the story behind this is technically real so I yeah please dive into how you've turned this into something you know fictional in a way you know yeah sure um so I people often ask me where I get ideas I can find ideas pretty much anywhere um but <laughs> the idea for this what really captivated me about this was um this true story of the historical place and the historical figure that was right here in Melbourne so um in the late 1800s, uh, there was an, a remarkable fellow called Edward William Cole. Um, he was he got a start um, as a bookseller in um, the Eastern Market, also called Paddy's Market, which was uh, on Burke Street up near the Parliament House end. Yeah. Um, but by 1883, he'd built up his little bookshop into a gigantic bookshop. It was called uh, Coles Book Arcade and um, it was three stories tall um, and it had all of these incredible incredible departments. It was kind of like a almost a, a theme park, really. Um, there was a fun house. There was a fernery with talking parrots. There was a monkey exhibit. 
there was a lolly shop and a toy shop, live music there all the time. Um, and Mr. Cole, who was not only an author and a marketing genius, but also an incredible activist, um, you know, he was against the white Australia policy and a lot of other restrictive um, and oppressive things of the time. Mr. Cole lived up there with his wife, Eliza, and their six kids. Um, and when I found out about this, I was at first just captivated by Mr. Cole and the arcade. But when I found out that there were six kids who lived there, I was like, I have got to write a story about this. Um, as for why I decided to put a bit of a fantastical spin on it, um, I, first of all, thought, what's something I can do that no one else would do? <laughs> what's a kind of idea so crazy that only I can do it? Um, but also, the arcade was so wonderful on its own that it seemed to just, it seemed to easily fit together with this fantastical aspect. Um, and the other thing I wanted to do was have um, this ability to incorporate puzzles because I found plenty of those in Mr. Cole's books uh, and to incorporate a reflection um, on the, the our, our present and the past. Because one thing that I think is really interesting about Mr. Cole is how futuristic he was. He made lots of predictions about um, how the world would change technologically and socially between his time and our time. Um, and I thought it was really important to put that in um, because the Victorian era was not great. Yeah. I've written about a very wondrous aspect of it, but as Pearl sees when, uh, well, I'll try not to spoil it, but yeah. as Pearl discovers, we have so much more freedom and, and kids have it so much better now. Um, and, you know, we haven't quite reached the utopia that Mr. Cole predicted. He predicted a world without war or hunger um, and with, you know, universal human rights, yeah. as well as things like... Um, he also predicted things like planes and uh, TV um, and, you know, very fast communication. Um, we haven't quite got to that level, but things have, things have got so much better since then. And I think if you're writing historical fiction, especially for kids, I think you have a responsibility to say that it wasn't a good time. I mean, if that's what you think, yeah. because that's what I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's very, I think it's quite mean if you're writing for kids to say things were much better a hundred years before you were born. <laughs> like <laughs> it's mean, right? Um, and I didn't just want to be one of those older people who's like, oh, kids today don't know how to play, put down your phone, blah, blah, blah. Because the phone is like the most useful invention ever. Yeah. Um, a computer that fits in your pocket. How, like, yes, there's bad things about phones and about exposure to the internet 24 hours a day. However, 
Yeah. I still think we have it better than they did back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pearl's not allowed to wear pants. Yeah. She wears um she wears rationals, which is sort of big buffy skirt like pants, but she's not allowed to wear like shorts and a t-shirt or yeah. or she's she's not even really allowed to play the same games that her brothers play. Yes, her parents are very progressive, but it's just in the rest of society, it's just not done. So, um, yeah, to come back to your original question about why I... Sorry, the dog's whining at me. No, you're right. Um, <laughs> back to your original question um, about why I decided to combine um, fact and fiction. Um, I did really want to be able to put in my own reflections on... Um, on the past and the present and 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 to include an element um that would allow that to happen so yeah yeah why i've included magic and i also want to make you know as as the as the um the books go on because i'm doing this in the second book as well i'm trying to make a point about um because magic is linked to creativity in yeah. uh, in the magical Melbourne books, so I kind of want to make about a point about the importance of art and literature, and how um, I guess the social function of the book arcade. Like it wasn't just it wasn't just a shop. It wasn't just like a monument to capitalism. It was this wonderful place for people to escape and connect and experience culture as well so yeah Absolutely. <laughs> two reasons for including the fantasy elements um and some of the some of them are just linked to me having fun because I think great <laughs> I can imagine how them... fun that would have been to write but also I think you've made the perfect balance of it is like it is historical and you've got so much realness in there blended with this fun like it's a great way for kids to learn so much also as well but um how did I have found it you... makes a great springboard, actually. Yeah. When I go and talk, kids always want to know about the facts as well. They're interested in the adventure. They love the adventure, but they want to know about the facts. One of the questions kids always ask me is almost always the first question, did Ruby really die? Um, oh. They always want to know. Um, and... That's one of the things that gets them into the um, historical stuff because they, they don't realise how high child mortality was back then. Um, that's another thing that we've mm. got it much better now because, mm. um, you know, it was like in the 1890s, it was about one in five kids. Yeah, wow. Um and so what I do when I go to a classroom is sometimes I go, so what that means is one, two, three, four, dead. One, two, three, four, dead. So that they really understand what it was. I mean, I make, that makes sense. No, I get it. I get it, yeah. It shows them the proportions um, because nowadays, you know, it's a rare tragedy for a child to die, but back then it was so common. So... They are really interested in the historical aspect as well as the adventure. Yeah, yeah. Crumb, your mats, please. Sorry, he's no, been really. 
He's normally quiet the whole day. What time you got He is. He's my sister's miniature poodle. Oh, um, gorgeous! <laughs> and so I have him. I have him half the week, and she has him the other half. Oh, gorgeous! <laughs> um, how did I do? Really want to know how did this story? Like, how did you find out about Mr. Cole, and how much? What was the process of putting so much research behind that? Like, yeah. Well, as I've said, I'm a big nerd. So I like both the creative, fantastical side of nerdy things and I also like the, the facts and figures side yeah, yeah. of nerdy things. So um, I was visiting uh, my fellow nerd. Uh, <laughs> her name is, oh, I don't know if she'll want me to say her name. No, but uh, let's call her Al. Yeah. Uh, I was visiting my we'll friend make a story Al. Up. Um, I was visiting my friend Al's house and um, she had a Cole's Funny Fiction book on her shelf and I I loved the Victorian era. I know it was a terrible time, but that's part of the fascination for me, yeah. the incredible contrasts. So I found this, she had this book on her shelf and I was like, what have you got there? And she said, oh, I simply have to tell you about Cole's Book Arcade. And as she was telling me about Mr. Cole and Cole's Book Arcade and reading me an article she'd found about how it all got started, I was like, this is an amazing idea for a kid's book. And she said, yeah, it is. (laughs) You're a writer. And I'm like, oh, Al, no, I'm working on something else. But then the very next week, we went to um, the Melbourne Museum and uh, the State Library and at the museum I saw the artefacts from the arcade. They wow. have a replica of the book arcade at the Melbourne Museum um, with the original Mechanical Chicken, the original Symphonian, which is a music machine, a bit like a jukebox, yeah. and the original Little Men. And the original arcade coins as well. Oh, um, I actually have a couple of arcade coins now. I didn't steal them from the museum. I bought them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it had. Once I saw the artifacts, and then when we went to the uh, state library and I found out about the family, that was when I knew I had to do it because it was sort of. It seemed too wonderful to go past, and I couldn't believe I. I couldn't believe it had taken me until I was 24 to find out about this incredible aspect of our history. I think, especially since it's Melbourne and, you know, the city of literature and stuff, it's a bit rude to me yeah. to legacy, I think, that we just sort of let it fade from our cultural consciousness um, because, you know, I think Mr. Cole had a much bigger positive impact on more people's lives than say Ned Kelly um, or dare I say Burke and Wills. Um, so, you know, I, I, I thought, um, I thought it was time as well that a new generation was introduced to the Coles because, um, because the last person to do it was Mr. Cole's grandson, and he passed away about 20 years ago now. Yeah, wow. Um, he reprinted all the funny picture books and wrote an amazing biography, um, which I have shamelessly pillaged. Um, and um, 
but he was you know he was sort of the last one to bring it back for kids there was uh there there have been two other authors that I know of Lisa Lang and Richard Bronowski who've done biographies um for adults as well as a novel for adults by yeah. Lisa Lang um but Mr Cole was such a he was such a like wonderful dad and um he was all about entertaining the family and the kids and bringing families together but I thought it was you know if no one else was gonna introduce today's kids to Mr Cole in the book arcade well I'm someone <laughs> it's 100% when I, like when I started like I didn't know that this was all real until after I read the book and I was like it does. It seems like a shame that people don't know about this because it, it seems so progressive for a time like that and it's just forgotten about and you've brought it back into history in the most fun way ever. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank I you. I did, I will say, I did idealise Mr. Cole slightly. Yeah, yeah, um, I, just, I just left out the occasional problematic opinion. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I will say for the time... For the time, he was very progressive. Yeah. I think if he were to pop back into the room today, we need to bring him up to speed first on a couple of things. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I think he'd roll with it. Like he let he let Mrs. Cole run the arcade while he was away. Yeah. Which was a bit of a slap in the face to, uh, to his manager, Mr. Pike, um, who worked with him for, oh, gosh, would have been... 45 years wow um but um he did love and respect mrs cole enough to give her full charge of the arcade when he was away on business so yeah yeah um in a time when most women of that class not that's only true. didn't work but weren't really allowed to work yeah that's huge actually that's a huge thing for that time absolutely um now I want to change I want to change um, conversation a little bit. I do want to come back and I want to talk about your second sure. book. But... I mean, I could talk about. Oh my goodness, we've gone for half an hour. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just going to ask. I just want to ask a quick question. So, um, just for writers that are just for writers that are. Um, this is mostly for writers that are up and coming and and getting involved in the writing industry. Now, you said you were. Um, working was it we working full-time until this year as well as writing on the side is that what yeah, yeah. how did so, you find time for that and how did you learn to balance and also how did you wean your way out it's a long process I guess but yeah um balance was hard to come by last year um I made some silly decisions like I I ended up neglecting sleep and exercise and I wouldn't really recommend it yeah. Um, so, um, as as rewarding as teaching was at the time, um, and you know, as much as I love working with kids, it's just impossible to give that much of your effort to two things that you really care about. So, yeah. um, it wasn't a great idea. Yeah. Um, certainly working full time was easier um, when uh, when I didn't have deadlines to yeah. worry about because um, I was teaching full-time um, in, when was it? It would have been 
2019, I did a term um, at a high school on a long service leave position. I was working full time then and I was writing outside of school then as well. But I wasn't trying to make deadlines then. Yeah. Much harder um, to do. Um, So, yeah. Luckily, teaching is one of those jobs where you can use your holidays um, to write. But I hope I don't have to teach full-time and write full-time at the same time because, you know, something ends up getting neglected, whether it's the writing, the teaching, or you. Um, And unfortunately, the one that ended up being neglected was me. Um, (laughs) So, you know, um, it turns out you need exercise and sleep. Um, (laughs) So, not a great idea. Yeah. Um, But... um, uh, the, how I've been able to cut back on the teaching this year is that um, I just I I met I was very lucky in the last two years living in the Alpine Valley that I was able to live in a very in a situation where my rent was very low. Yeah. So I was able to save up um, and it didn't hurt that I won a few prizes last year. Either. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> and you obviously need that time. Like you're an absolute creative. You Like burning the stick at both ends is just, you know, it's not going to end in a pretty way for anyone. Yeah. Especially when you've got such beautiful stories to tell. Is there any particular advice that you would um, pass on to authors right now who are in that space where they're, you know, trying to build their career or, you know, g- get some books out there published that are, are working those long hours? Um, well, first of all, um, you're not a machine, um, you're a human and you, you might actually find it becomes harder to write if you don't take care of yourself. Um, I, when I was just doing the last draft of my new book, um, having, having, as much time as I needed on that in a day was so different. And it was such a big relief to be able to work on that as much as I needed without having to switch gears mentally. Yeah. Switching gears mentally is very hard. Um, I did, I had a few retail jobs before I wrote uh, Grandis um, yeah. and I was writing all the time back then as well. Um just other manuscripts that haven't been published, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's much easier to switch gears from a retail job, say what I was doing in a supermarket. You can chatter all day as you're passing things through the machine mm-hmm. and there's no, you can turn that off as soon as you walk in the door at home. At yep. least I can. But with teaching, you've got a lot more on your mind. You've got yep. to plan. You, you're thinking of the plan for the whole term the plan for the week, the plan for the following day. And you're also thinking about what this kid said and how this kid's doing. And, you know, if so-and-so is going to be okay with the issue that they're having with their self-esteem, and it's much harder to switch gears um, if you care about it. Yeah. Which I did. Yeah. Um, 
So it becomes much harder to change from teaching mode to writing mode. Um, so yeah, leaving my last school was really bittersweet because um, I loved it, but yeah, I just I haven't wanted to be a teacher since I was three, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or three weeks old. Is that when that helped? Well, yeah, that's <laughs> apparently when I said hello. Um, <laughs> now, thank, look, I can't thank you so much with every, for everything that you've shared today. It's been a beautiful conversation. I really recommend that everyone goes out and gets the grandest bookshop in the world. And you've also got, have you got a release date yet or anything for number two? Um, it's going to be out. It's going to be out early October. Oh, I haven't awesome. got an exact date, but we're yep. going to with the Booksellers Apprentice, a prequel to the grandest bookshop in the world. Oh, um, we're going to print with that in the middle of May. Perfect. Um, so it'll be out in October. Um, and for anyone who's interested, uh, it's set in 1871 before. Oh, wow. Before the Cold Children are born. Um, and it follows uh, an adventure that Mr. Cole's first and longest serving employee, Billy Pike, has in Paddy's Market, um, wow. which I was talking about before. Um, so there's lots of new faces, a couple of familiar faces, Mr. Cole, obviously. Um, yep. And of course, the Obscure Smith's back too. Okay, um, awesome. <laughs> but, um, it's if you haven't read Grandest, you can read Apprentice, actually. Um, okay, cool, because it will go back. So it could... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a, sep it's a separate adventure, but yep. there's plenty in there for fans of Grandest as well. Um, I love that. Awesome. More, and for... Oh, sorry, keep going. Oh, I was just going to say, there's more puzzles. There's more, uh, more magic and more scams. Oh, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait for it. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure. Has the cover, has the cover come out yet? Can we? Because like, is no, it viewable? No, I, no one can see it. I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to see some cover design concepts this week. Oh, that's um, awesome! But I'm very much looking forward to how other people are going to interpret it because so far, it's really only me and uh, one or two of my editors who have read it but just now that I've handed off that other draft um it's being handed around and more people are going to read it and it's the exciting. wheels are turning yeah so. yeah just see what happens next <laughs> now we're going to give away a copy of the grandest bookshop in the world so for people to win that what they have to do is complete the writing prompt for this week so um all they have to do is complete one to two paragraphs on yeah, a writing prompt that you want to give us. Is there anything you want to give the readers, uh, sorry, listeners to write about? Okay. Do you want one word or a sentence? Oh, whatever you, you could, you, it's your, it's your, your, you go for it. <laughs> okay. Um, in that case, you've got a one word prompt and your writing prompt is riddle. Um, yes. So you can interpret that any way you choose. You can write about a somebody who is a metaphorical riddle, like they're hard to interpret. Uh, you can write about an actual riddle. You can invent a riddle. 
I've done a few of those. That's yeah. very fun. Um, if you like, you could even talk about like something being riddled with something. So like you could talk about infection or. Um, yeah, that word could be taken any way. Yeah, you could chuck the word riddle in there if you want, as in maybe it's an old, an old ship riddled with barnacles. It's up to you. That's your prompt. This is great. I'm so excited to read some of these and see what see what people come out with. I can't thank you enough for joining us today, Amelia. And yes, I cannot wait. If, where, do, where do people get in contact with you if they want to learn more about your books or you in general? Oh, um, feel free to email me at melloramelia.gmail.com um, or you can find me on Twitter um, at Amelia underscore R underscore Mellow. Um, and I'm also on Instagram with the same handle. Um, I do have a website, but I'm going to get a new one soon. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> social media is where it's at. Um, awesome. So, I will put all those in the yeah. show notes. Perfect. Great. Excellent. Thank you so much. We'll, try, we'll chat soon. And yeah, we'll, I will definitely make sure that we keep our eyes open for October for that book. Awesome. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Olivia. It's Thank been a pleasure. You. you too. How great was that? Amelia really is as joyous as her book. So to win a copy of The Grandest Bookshop in the World, all you have to do is answer the, uh, the writing prompt riddles, which as explained can be anything. I am very, very excited to see what everyone's interpretation of this is. To enter, all you have to do is head to oliviahillier.com slash podcast. Make sure you do this before next Thursday night when the next episode of Writer's Advice would be released and you could be getting a copy of her book sent straight to your doorstep. Until then, guys, enjoy.